Chicago's impressive streetcar system sits paved over and almost entirely forgotten, but with thousands of passenger cars and over 1,000 miles of track throughout the city, the surface lines occasionally reappear in the most unexpected places, revealing traces of a monumental time. In 1929 alone, an estimated 9 million riders rode these lines, and by 1935, over 3,700 of the city's iconic red streetcars drove the busy streets, with ridership reaching well over the millions by the time the craze died down. Streetcars effectively ruled Chicago's growing transport system at their prime, and yet they were perhaps destined for a tragically short lifespan of only about 30 years. With the last streetcar run happening in June of 1958, these former iconic cars have all but been forgotten. But today we will uncover what remains. This is the story of Chicago's lost streetcar system. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. This episode was made possible by Endel, an environment-based nonprofit app that takes everything we know about sound and combines it with cutting-edge technology to give you personalized soundscapes designed to help you relax, focus, and sleep. Endel has helped me find the mental clarity needed to create these videos. The fantastic soundscapes enhance my focus and help with productivity. Perhaps what I enjoy most about Endel's patented technology is how it put my biological clock in tune with nature's organic rhythms and cycles drastically improving how I feel. Using this app really gave me a new appreciation for how much our sonic environment affects us. So if you'd like to increase your focus and general wellness, download the app now by clicking the link in the description below. The first 100 people to download will get a free week of audio experience. And now, back to Chicago's lost streetcars. Let's set the stage at 19th century Chicago. Though it started as a modest town, it underwent massive growth in the coming years. The city's growth was so immense that by the year it was officially incorporated as a city, its population had already reached around 4,000. Over the next two decades, Chicago's population saw an even larger boom, reaching 30,000 by 1850 and 109,000 by 1860. Around this time, the city began to build up a reputation in the business of meatpacking, it also saw an exponential rise in trade and commerce statewide, in large thanks to the 1848 Illinois and Michigan Canal, as well as the 1860s railroads. By the 1870s, Chicago's population had reached 300,000. And as you can imagine, to support further growth of the rapidly developing city, the transportation industry needed to grow along with the number of people that flocked there. And as you will see, the progression to the streetcar didn't happen overnight. In fact, it was decades in the making. So now let's shift our focus to the first of many early forms of transportation in Chicago. In 1852, omnibuses were by far the most common modes of transportation in not only the United States, but also Europe. 
These vehicles were large, enclosed passenger transport carriages that came long before the introduction of motor vehicles. They were typically drawn by teams of two horses at a time, though as each horse could only pull an average of 10 to 12 miles and work 4 to 5 hours each day, stables typically had to keep 10 or more horses per omnibus. The basic passenger cabin had two wooden benches along the interior side and could carry several passengers at once. The later double-deckered horse-drawn buses had an uncovered upper deck with multiple wooden benches sitting back to back, allowing the buses to carry up to 30 passengers per trip. The drivers sat outside the passenger's cabin on an elevated bench to guide the horses and often shuttled travelers back and forth between railroad stations and hotels. The Chicago Tribune cites an early letter stating that these would have been great if they ran on schedule and the price was the same from day to day and bus to bus. Early omnibus rides were rough and often uncomfortable due to the bumpy cobblestone and the unpaved streets, though they would see a vast improvement in the coming years thanks to the introduction of steel rails. These rails not only made the rides smoother, but improved the speed of trips by removing strain on the horses. The first of these rails were laid from the State Street Horse Railroad on December 2, 1858, and by 1872, there were a reported 202 omnibuses in active service. There were also considerable drawbacks to this mode of transportation, namely just how much it cost to house, feed, and groom each horse, with the total number of horses reaching 6,600. An immense amount of waste was produced on a daily basis. The sheer amount of manure produced by these horses led to countless health concerns. Additionally, having so many horses on the street also brought the risk of the horses getting spooked and injuring passerbyers. The devastation brought about by the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 also severely hurt the horse-drawn omnibus business, as it killed many of the horses needed, the last of which would be wiped out by an outbreak that swept the city the following year. The Encyclopedia of Chicago states that before the Great Fire, street railway systems had already tried to replace the horses with small steam locomotives. However, this attempt was short-lived due to the backlash of the public, which didn't appreciate sparks, smoke, and the noise they generated. So, a far more sustainable replacement came in the way of the cable car, a system which the Chicago City Railways on the south side adopted in the year of 1882. Previously only used in San Francisco before Chicago built its own line, these systems were made up of single cable cars laid on rails across the street. In 1883, Charles J. Von Depole demonstrated an electric streetcar system at the Chicago Exhibition of Railway Appliances. Five years later, Frank J. Sprague built the first successful electric streetcar system in Richmond, Virginia in 1888. They ran by gripping a continuously moving cable buried in the street. To stop the car, the grip would be released. The cars were operated by Gripman, a driver who pulled a lever to clamp and release the grip on the cable. In the event that he needed to stop the car suddenly, a lever needed to be pulled with an incredible force of 125 pounds. According these streetcars were also known as grip cars and were not only far quieter than their predecessors, but they also solved the waste and expense issue in one fell swoop, bringing us to a pinnacle moment in the progression of Chicago's lost surface lines. 
The first cable car reportedly ran on State Street at 2.30 p.m. on January the 28th, 1882. And 24 years later, the last cable car would see service upon reaching 21st Street on October the 21st, 1906. Thanks to these new developments, horse-drawn omnibuses quickly became a thing of the past. Soon enough, Chicago earned the honor of having one of the most extensive cable car systems in the entire world. Even despite its surprisingly short lifespan, these cable cars were incredibly influential throughout Chicago, laying the foundation for a transit system that would soon follow, allowing for Chicago to flourish and expand further than ever before. WTTW states that Chicago had the most cable car passengers out of any city in the United States, with over 1 billion fares collected by the time they ceased service. And this title went hand in hand with also having the most cable cars. In addition to this, the Chicago cable car system also brought the new technology front and center for the entire country, inspiring 29 other cities to build cable car systems of their own. In fact, these machines were so versatile that they could even serve as snowplows during the cold winter months. Another interesting fact is that the name of the Chicago Loop also originates from these cable cars, as they would use loops of track downtown to turn around on their routes. The name The Loop would ultimately become 100% reinforced later with the adoption of the Chicago L. At its peak, the Chicago cable car system had 13 powerhouses, 41.2 miles of double-tracked rails, and 34 individual cables. These lines reached as far south as 71st Street, and as far west as Pulaski, and north as Diversi. Northbound lines ran under the Chicago River through the LaSalle Street Tunnel, which in turn allowed for the expansion and housing of busy commuters. We actually did an entire video on the forgotten streetcar tunnels of Chicago. You can click it in this card above. This unique technology didn't last long. Just eight years after the first cable car ran, the technology was already on its way out, being replaced by electric streetcars powered by an overhead trolley line. In 1890, the process of replacing Chicago's numerous cable cars with electrified streetcars officially began. Though this process wasn't fully completed until around 1906, these electric streetcars were a true marvel of their time and were far more efficient. Not only cheaper to operate than those horse-drawn omnibuses and cable cars, but they were much larger and able to carry more passengers. The new surface lines provided a smoother ride that was also more energy efficient and cost less to install overall, so this was a winning proposition for the city. Moreover, the transit system expanded much further and got rid of long-standing issues that came with cable cars, such as the cable brakes. There was a lot of competition during the transition from cable cars to the electric streetcar early on. One such rivalry was between the Calumet Electric Streetcar Company, the operator of the first electric streetcar to run in Chicago, and the South Chicago City Railway, formerly the Ewing Avenue Horse Railway. The Calumet Electric Street Railway Company looped around downtown South Chicago, then went west along 93rd Street, running through Calumet Heights for two miles to Stony Island Avenue, near the railway's car house and generating station. This system tested the new technology and spurred the housing development in Calumet Heights, as reported by the Central Electric Rail Fans Association. 
The South Chicago City Railway went as far south as 106th Street through Eastside and as far west as Torrance Avenue in South Deering. This extensive reach allowed the lines to serve Wisconsin Steel, occupying both banks of the Calumet south of 106th. In addition to serving Wisconsin Steel, the South Chicago City Railway also served other producers. It continued down Ewing through the middle of the east side, though both railways would see later extensions. As the competing companies continued to expand, their streetcars took on distinct characteristics. The South Chicago City Railway painted its cars red and took the name the Red Lines. The Calumet Electric Street Railway Company painted its cars yellow, though its nickname was far less flattering, referred to as the Yellow Pearl. Starting in 1907, the city began regulating and taxing street railways. In 1914, all of Chicago's street railway companies came together and unified under the name the Chicago Surface Lines. Before this union, service was split among many different companies, including but not limited to Chicago Railways Company, Chicago City Railways Company, Calumet and South Chicago Railway Company, and Western Railway Company. However, starting in the 1920s, automobiles became more affordable and caused the once overcrowded streetcar ridership to decline heavily. In response, the President's Conference Committee, or PCC for short, was formed in 1929. The PCC dedicated itself to finding ways to keep the streetcars busy, alive, and well. As such, many improvements were planned to make the cars faster, smooth, convenient, and comfortable enough to compete with automobiles that were quickly rising in popularity. Two different designs were tested in Chicago, and not long after, the winning design was finalized and called the PCC car. This PCC car wasn't just used in Chicago, but all over America. 600 of them were ordered by Chicago between 1945 and 1946, aptly named Green Hornet Streetcars, both because of their incredible speed and for the fact that the Chicago surface lines painted them green. Around the same time that Chicago was ordering the Green Hornet cars, the Chicago Transit Authority was formed. And on the 1st of October 1947, the Chicago Transit Authority took over all rapid transit and streetcar service in Chicago. So with everything being so great, you might come to wonder what could have led to such a rapid decline. While the new Green Hornet streetcars were efficient, they could not handle traffic congestion and could not detour around blockades as quickly as needed, causing massive delays. It became harder to turn a profit from these streetcars alone. The changing economic climate saw a decided shift towards buses, such as the 1961 New Look or the Fishbowl buses. And within a mere couple of years, the last streetcar to operate, number 7213, a Green Hornet on the Wentworth line had its last run. While the story of the Chicago streetcars has long since ended, countless remnants linger all over the city. After being replaced by fume-spewing automobiles and buses, you just need to look in the right places. And so now let's fast forward to modern-day Chicago to see what traces remain. Some of these remnants are quite literally right underneath our feet. For example, in 2014, a pothole was discovered on Kenzie Avenue between the Logan Square Blue Line stop 
and the Long Men and Eagle by a resident walking home from the train. The pothole reported by Logan Square resident Bart Shore was right in the middle of the intersection. Remarkably, the rail had not sustained much damage. A radio traffic reporter for WBBM immediately recognized the track exposed by the pothole to be part of the former Kenzie Avenue streetcar line. Though sadly, much of the remarkability of this discovery was lost to many Chicagoans due to the lack of relevancy Chicago's streetcars have had over the course of the past 60 years. Thanks to the sheer length of the track, it is far more common than you might think to find remnants of the old network, looping around some of Chicago's most popular suburbs and streets. In fact, seeing as most of the tracks were simply covered with asphalt, construction workers frequently unearth the decades-old tracks during sewer and road projects, such as the 2010 construction that took place on Milwaukee Avenue. Many of these old tracks, such as those at 63rd and Stone, Island were paved over in recent years. However, others remain visible, such as those of the former Lake Street line on North Pine between Lake Street and Corcoran, where tracks are reportedly particularly visible right underneath the bridge. Others have spotted not only exposed tracks, but also forgotten line poles at the old CTA Lawndale garage site. Then there's the large portion of tracks sitting exposed at the 2600 block of West Chicago Avenue, running from Damon to Kenzie. There are also tracks on 134th Street, or the remnants scattered across Indiana Avenue between 130th and 134th Street. You've also got the former line that ran along 5500 Street. Old car barns, electrical substations, and bus garages also linger, such as the 77th Street and Vincent's Car Barn or the Ardmore Temporary Bus Garage. You'll also find many remnants of the now obsolete Chicago cable cars, such as a cable-pulling powerhouse from 1887 at LaSalle and Illinois Street. Though it has undergone countless changes, serving as anything from a car repair shop to a steakhouse, it is an official Chicago landmark. It's even possible to to visit the last two Chicago cable cars at the Museum of Science and Industry and the Illinois Railway Museum. But what about the rest of the streetcars? Believe it or not, some of PCC's streetcars remain in operation in places such as Kenosha, Wisconsin, San Francisco, and the Illinois Railway Museum. Furthermore, several modern-day CTA routes and numbers are the same as they were during the peak of the streetcars. In terms of keeping their memory alive, in 2016, the Illinois Railway Museum in Union hosted a Chicago Day to celebrate the anniversary of the last day of the streetcar operation in Chicago. The museum had a fully functional streetcar designed and painted similar to the last streetcar that ran as a part of the Vincent's Avenue route to commemorate the occasion. Without a shadow of a doubt, Chicago's transit has evolved throughout the past centuries. Though, as we can see from the story of the iconic streetcars, this often comes at the cost of many old marvels being paved over and renovated beyond recognition. As a child, in the 80s, I can clearly remember the remnants of these tracks throughout the city, and it's a wonder to think that in many places, right below the asphalt, they are sitting there in the stillness of time. Let me know if you're aware of any remnants we left out of this video in the comments section below. Subscribe and do not forget to watch our Chicago History playlist. This is Ryan Sokash, signing off.